0: Good morning, Boker Tov. So wonderful to be back together in person, live from the Boker Tov Synagogue. Parsha perspectives for today. I want to begin by thanking our generous sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, who've dedicated the entire series in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman. Leila Nishma's Dabbub Menachem Monash. This morning, she was also sponsored by David Meyerfeld in commemoration of his father's Urotsite, Manfred Meyerfeld. L'nishmas Benachem Ben Uri Shraga by Rona Cohen in commemoration of her mother's Yerzeit, Doris Yaffe, Zechrona Levracha. And this morning she is also in memory of my grandfather's Yerzeit, which is today, Sam Aboff, for whom my son is named, my beloved Zayda. the should have an Aliyah. We think about him, continue to be influenced and inspired by him often. Lastly, I want to remind everyone, if you've not yet signed up for our one-on-one campaign, in the merit of our beloved Estimask, it's Esther Tila Zipporah. Dollar a day of giving, a minute a day of Torah study. You can go to birasonlineorg slash one and one. Please join. We are learning Parshas Chorach, page 820 in the art scroll stone, Chumash. Vayikach Chorach, Ben Yitzhar, Ben Kas, Ben Levi, Aviram, B'nei Ben Reuven. Our Parshas continues the adolescent journey of the Jewish people towards self-discovery, the maturation, the growing pains, some of the uh, difficulty for Moshe Rabbeinu and of God, as the Jewish people are growing into their own. They went from a family to the birth of a nation, an incorrigible, difficult nation, and emerge hopefully to grow to be a holy and model nation, but it takes time. And here we have not only the underpinnings, the source of rebellion, the sugya, of what it means rebellion, rebelliousness, but of machlokas, the danger of, the insidiousness of machlokas, of conflict, of unnecessary tension, of how that destroys and tears apart families and communities and a people. And we will get into that in a moment, but let's begin with the name Korach itself. I picked up, while I was in New York a New Sefer, Otzer Plo HaTorah. It's a thick, big at New safer. This is just Bamidbar. And basically somebody did some hard work to dig up unusual, uh, interesting, Zev... Zecherman dug up some fascinating, interesting things on each parsha. So he begins with the following: he quotes the Sefer Or Moshe, who says something a davar nifla, says something wondrous, says something incredible. He says, "I didn't find anyone else who says this." There is a tradition from Chaim Palaji, Kafachaim, not to refer to our parsha by the name Korach not to employ, not to use, not to engage the name Korach. What's the name of the parsha? Ben Levi. Who's the one who rebelled and challenged Moshe? Ben Levi. Don't use his name. Don't refer to him or articulate by name. Why? Why? And for example, he quotes the nefesh Chaim. Nevesh Chaim, near the Farish Peshara, Rabbah, Parshas Ben Levi, as an example. And Kafach and other Svarim who reference Yalkit Ruveni, Ben Kahas. They call the name of our Parsha not Korach. They call it Ben Levi, Ben Kahas. They use another association, another name, another reference to identify the name of the Parsha, but they refuse to reference, to call it Ben, to call it Korach, to use his name itself. Where does this come from? I am a Parish Atura Aruch Parshas Pinchas, he says, if you look at the Torah and Parashas Pinchas on the Pesach, Mishpachas HaKarchi, the family of Korach, who brings in the name of the Ramban, the Bnei Yitzhar, the sons of Yitzhar are called Karchi, but work Korach Why? We have a tradition that the children of Korach, in fact, repented. They did Shuvah. We invoke their name in the Sefer Telem, because unlike their father, their patriarch, Korach, they did not join the rebellion. They did Shuvah. They recreated and reestablished themselves. They were tzaddikim. However, the Torah writes on this. Listen to what he says. The and Mishle and the Chazal tell us that the name of the of the rotten people, should rot, should be spoiled. The name of the wicked should be eliminated, should not be used. <inaudible> we should not use their name. So the Torah therefore says, it's wrong, don't invoke, don't use the name Korach because Korach itself, Korach himself was wicked. He not only led for his time an in incredible rebellion, he created the precedent. He planted the seeds. He sowed the seeds of rebelliousness that we continue to suffer from until until today. So the Torah says, don't use the name Korach. Don't call the parsha Korach ben Levi. Call it Ben Ben Khas, call it another name. However, however many most are not careful with this. Most HaTorah call it by its name? Parsha's Korach. Among them, greatest perhaps among them, none other than Rashi. Rashi writes Parsha's Korach. In Zvachim, he refers to it as Parsha's Korach. The Ramban and Zos Zosabracha calls it Seder Vayikach Korach, the Parsha of Korach. And the Ramban writes it here as well. And we have many who do call it who do call it. They'll say, well who cares about the name of the Parsha? Where do the names of the Parsha's come from? This is not for now. For another time, where do the names of the parashiyos come from? Chazal? Are they from our rabbis? Are they referenced in the Gemara, in the Medrash? No. Where do they come from? We don't know. We're not exactly sure. We don't have a strong tradition of who exactly named the parashiyos. However, Ratzalak Kakoin of Lublin and his Sefer Rissi Se'elayla writes: Shame shall call sidra shebet Torah kvi mashanogu Yisrael whom shall call sidra al shamra shamer b'shemas Adam. Just like when parents have a level of prophecy when they give a name to a child, which we'll talk about in a moment, so too, whoever established the names of the parshios encapsulated, they were able to describe the essence, they got to the core of each parsha when they gave it its name. Every name is Belashon Kodesh, Shoresh hachiyaz Oso davar, says Rav Tzedek HaKohen, it is the root of the chias of that thing, the names of our parshas reveal the essence of that parsha. Whoever gave those names was endowed with a certain level of of uh, prescient prophecy, had some deeper insight or understanding, and therefore we don't dismiss the names of those parshas. The only other thing I'll say on this, he says a couple of sections later, he quotes the Chasam Sofer in our parsha. Why did they name him Korach to begin with? There was an earlier Korach in the Torah. Who else is named Korach in the Torah? Who's Korach? For whom is Korach named? One of the children of Esav. One of the children of Esav is named Korach. The end of Bereishis it tells us the names of Esav and one of them was Korach. The Sofer says, when they named after a wicked person. They already predetermined that this would be a wicked person. When parents name a child, there's an awesome responsibility. There's an awesome responsibility in the name that we give. Names are not random labels. They're not something that we all agree upon to be a description. A chair is a chair that's an arbitrary English word. We all have agreed. There's a social contract to use the word chair to describe a chair so we all know what we're talking about. But that's not true when it comes to our children. It's not a label or a tag, it's not an arbitrary word or name we use, so we're on the same page about whom we're referring to. It's a description. It's a description. It's a trajectory. We are putting a child on a path in life with the name that we give, and that's why it's an awesome responsibility. When we name after people, I'm proud my son, Shai Shmuel Yisrael Nassan, is named after my grandfather's your is today, and Yecheved's grandfather, both of whom were incredible people. We, we give a, a child, we endow a child with a future, with at least potential. Through the name that we give, Nechsam Sofer says, it was a terrible mistake of Bnei Levi when they named after one of the children, the offspring of Esav, Shem Yerkov. We're supposed to rot away. We're supposed to distance ourselves from names of wicked. Not even to use them, let alone name our children after them. Nechsam Sofer says, Shekomish, Korach. Lok Avanavim Korach Adam Rasha. It was all the result of naming after a wicked person. It goes on and on, fascinating new Sefer. I look forward to sharing some of the insights from it, some of the uh, unusual things that it digs up in there from it. But let's go back with an introduction to our parsha, To our parsha. And this introduction is critical because when you read our parsha and we study the Rishonim, and the Chazal on it, we are understandably always led to see Korach as this heinous villain, as this horrific person, as the epitome of evil. We just saw the chasam sofer have that attitude towards him. But it's not so simple. It's not so pashat. It's not so Pasha. The Mishnah of us, Parakei, Mishnah Yudzaiin, tells us, Ezehi machlokes shelo l'shem shemayim. What's of an example of a machlokes driven by impure motive? What is a machlokes, which has a personal uh, agenda attached to it? Machlokes korech v'adasa. And b'muzko rishem m'vur b'mishnah shikorech v'adasa y'an sheyem adon, riv v'machlokes. So when the Mishnah, when our rabbis when they capture and communicate Korach in that context, you can't help but feel, well, Hillel and Shammai, psst, they're Machlokas L'Shem Shemayim. Korach Va'adaso, we'll speak about in a moment, the lack of parallel. Hillel and Shammai were adversaries, intellectual adversaries. Korach was an adversary to Moshe, not Va'adaso. So what is it set up as Korach Va'adaso? it should say, Machlokas L'Shem Shemayim. Hillel and Shammai. Shilol L'Shem Shemayim is Korach Im... Moshe, why don't they Korach va'adaso? If you listen to today's one minute in the one-on-one campaign, Rabbi Mirzov quoted a beautiful insight from Merve because Korach va'adaso, he didn't even get along within his own party and his own people. There was strife and there was machlokas. Even though they joined forces to take on Moshe within his own party, he couldn't get along. And that's why it's Korach va'adaso. There are other answers which were given, which we'll see in a moment. But the Mishnah, our rabbis, set it up that Korach is a villain, Korach is a wicked person. But it's not so simple. Chazal see, in fact, greatness to Korach. Possibly, The Medrash says, The Medrash says Korach was equal to Aram. Their righteousness, their brilliance, their greatness that Tzidkus. He was great, Aram Hakoim. Moreover, the Medrash there further says, Korach had a greatness he carried, he lifted the Aram. Korach was not a simple person. Korach was not driven by a simply impure, egotistical motive. Chazal write about Korach, Chacham Gadol, he was incredibly wise, he was a great Chacham, he was incredibly, had great achievement. Moreover, Korach Pikeach, Rashi quotes, he was a Pikeach, he was smart, he was insightful, he was wise. So how could he have fallen? And how can we see him and paint him as a villain? The Ariah Kadosh, the great Kabbalist, writes that Sofei Tevos, the end of the word Korach, are Tzadik Katamar Yifrach. The last letters of Tzadik Katamar Yifrach are Korach. A righteous sprouts like a date tree. Tzadik Katamar Yifrach, Korach. Korach was not some pedestrian, simple, civilian, balabas rebellion, ego-driven. Korach was great, great like Aaron. He was a Chocham. He was a Godol. He was Tzadik <inaudible> HaTomar Yifrach. Tzadik kohen. the second one of the day, in Pre-Tzadik writes, He was so right and so righteous, Korach knew how purely he was driven that when he had this instinct and intuition to confront Moshe, he felt that a Kedosh Baruch planted it within him. He felt he had arrived. He was such a tzaddik and such a chacham that if he felt that and was drawn to that, it must be the will of Hashem. So if Tzaddik, contributes, or if tzaddik attributes Korach a pure motive, even though, of course, he went horrifically wrong. So he goes there, opposite all of this, you see that there was some jealousy, there was some envy, that behind the greatness and the brilliance, behind the righteousness and the virtue, behind all who Korach was and who he could be, Ultimately, what was there? Envy and jealousy. So the altar of Navarak says that that's why it's such a pernicious middah. Jealousy, and envy, comparing and competing with others, it'll be our downfall. It's our kryptonite. You can have all the potential in the world. You could be on track and trajectory to be an Aaron HaKohen. You could be a Chacham and a Tzadik katamar or Yifrach. But when you're driven by jealousy and envy, but when you're looking at and competing with others, it's your end. So the altar of Navarnak says in the Mishnah, that envy and jealousy and taiva, desire, cover the desire for honor, they remove a person from the world. So the author, These three qualities are like horsepower. They're like the horsepower in a car. They can drive you right out of this world, right off a cliff. But the horsepower of the car can drive you off a cliff or into a tree, but it could also drive you straight to do a mitzvah, to arrive at some destination that you're meant to be. The horsepower itself is not intrinsically good or bad. The steering wheel is what makes the difference. It's how we drive and the direction that we turn. It's how we steer all that horsepower. So kina and kavod are not inherently or intrinsically bad qualities. We know that we have only two inherently, intrinsically bad qualities. What are they? The Ramban and the Ramban both agree. The Rambam and his Mishnah Torah, the Ramban is his What are they? Gaiva, arrogance, arrogance, which we'll talk about this morning. Arrogance. You have to be extremely humble. Maod maod ruach. And what's the other? Anger. There's no room for anger. Every other quality is called a mida, they're called midos. We work on midos because the word mida means a measure. They belong in some measure. I always give the example of the Orchas Sadikim. you're making a chicken soup, you put no pepper in, it's going to be bland and miserable. If you pour the entire bottle of pepper in, it's going to be miserable, you're going to spoil and ruin it. You need to put it in the right mida, the right measure of pepper belongs. That's why they're called midos. So every quality belongs in our recipe, in our repertoire, but it has to be the right midah. There are two exceptions, anger and arrogance. So the author of Navardic says, Kinna, taiva, and kavod, those are midahs that could drive you to greatness. Kavod, not honor that's driven by ego, but honor of Hashem and taiva. torah If you tap into that drive and that hunger and that appetite, you can direct the sahara to great things. And kinah, envy and jealousy, you see the way someone else davens or the way they learn, you see their instinct for chesed and you say, I want that, I want to be like that. I want to become that. Then it's a great thing. It's not the horsepower, it's the steering wheel. It's which way we direct. Korach, he steered the wrong way. He was in the wrong direction. He drove off a cliff quite literally into the ground because even though he had the potential for greatness, he blew it, he blew it. Said about Rabbi Pian, the name of the altar of Kelm. Hadvaru Maachron Shesham El Ram Shai Salant. What was the last thing Rabbi Yisrael Salant said before he died? He said, "Akinah va'tayvah va'kaven motziyah sa'adam." Shlo The last teaching of Yisrael Salant said to his talmidim. The last message of Moser before he left this world. It says that these three things, kinah, tayvah, va'kaven s. Doesn't say adam. It doesn't say these three qualities remove a person from the world. It says removes. Ha Adam, hey Hayedia, the person. Shafilu Adam Gadol Lo means Ha Adam means the great person. No matter how great you are, no matter how great the potential you have to be, if you don't steer the kina tayva and kavod wrong, how many great people have we seen? Accomplished, famous, distinguished people who kina tayva or kavod one of those things, misguided, misdirected. Led them off a cliff, led them to end their reputation and their lives. So it's not just adam. Not every simple person needs to be careful. Ha adam behe ha idea. The greatest of people, Ritzuka says, the greater you are, the greater get yitzhara. So the greater people, the greater the importance of steering correctly, of steering in the right, of steering in the right direction. Okay. Megad Yosef. My name is Father. I love the Sefer he gave me, Yosef Suratskin. Megan Yosef, listen to this insight. Ba'ikach Korach. So we said the Mishnah Navo sets it up. It's not parallel. It should be Hillel and Shammai, our intellectual adversaries, and Korach im Moshe. What do you mean Korach Vada? So we've given answers to this years past. And one of the challenges of the Parsha classes, as you look at the Parsha, you remember all the fantastic Deverei Torah that we shared before, and I'm tempted to remind myself and you of them again. But you could listen to old years over and over again good review. There are seven days in a week, one of them Shabbos, but six days leading up to each Shabbos, we have at least six of previous years parsha. I say that not to promote myself because I say nothing novel in my parsha class. I just repackage and recycle and redistribute everyone else's incredible Torah. So it's worth re-listening again. So ve'ikach korach. So medrash shmuel hikshah matam lo nemer zimach lokes korach Moshe, as we said, shamai Vehilo. Why does it say Korach V'adassah? U'v'yishuv Adar M'nir, says the Megad Yosef of Yosef Sirotskin, Shammai V'hilal Lohayubali Machlokes Mitiv'am U'mitsad Atzmos'am. Shamai and Hillel in their personalities, they were peacemakers, they were peace lovers. They were very happy people, socially well-adjusted people. They got along with people, they loved and they treasured and they pursued peace. It just happened to be Shammai Savar Asar V'hilal Savar Mutter. On a certain topic, they had disagreement, so they appeared as adversaries. Because on a certain topic, they came to separate conclusions, but that was about their intellectual position, their halachic position, that wasn't about their mahus, their character, who they were. Who they were. Avashamai lelohilo, vachainilo shamai, avak machlokas. If there was no Hillel to be disagreeing with Shammai, and Shammai simply had his opinion, if there was no Shammai to disagree with Hillel, and Hillel simply had his opinion, there's no Machlokas. They weren't in their nature, in their character, people of tension and conflict. They just held opinions. And when the opinion was in conflict with another, it appears as a Machlokas, and that is a Machlokas, and shemayim. <speaking in Hebrew> They're disagreeing about a position, they're disagreeing about a conclusion, but they're not people of disagreement. Korach and his Ada, Korach and his group, they were people of conflict. They got a thrill. They had some endorphin release. They had some pleasure out of the fight, out of the fight. You know, we know people like this. They're Bali Machlokas. They love to fight. They love a fight. They're not happy unless they're in a fight with someone. They get a thrill out of the fight, they have some distorted joy out of the fight. They love a fight. Now, as community leaders, our job is to say, fantastic, let me give you a few causes to fight for. Last night, someone distributed anti Semitic packages and driveways all over Montoya Circle. Terrible, the Goyim Defense League, the Moron Defense League, if you remember the van that passed us by. They distributed little anti-Semitic in our own backyard. We have to fight anti-Semitism. We have to fight for Agunas to get their get. We have to fight for Klai Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael. There are so many worthy causes to fight for, so you take the person predisposed who loves the thrill of the fight and you unleash them on a worthy fight. That's what our, our job and our responsibility. But if and the Megid Yosef points out that's why the Mishnah doesn't have a parallel. Shammai and Hillel is machlokes, it's L'shem Shammaiim, because they're not bale machlokas. they're not people of conflict, they're not people of tension. You know those people that, around every table or in any conversation, they want to you know, drop something that's going to create, escalate, they love it. There's a thrill, people fighting, yelling, screaming, not talking to each other. They love to whisper, did you hear? The fight, who's not talking, what's happening? The controversy. That's Korach. So they were looking for a fight. They happened to find it with Moshe. If they couldn't find it with Moshe, they would have found it with someone else. So Moshe is not the other side of their equation. It's not Korach in Moshe, the way it's Hillel Shamai, Shammai. Because when you're a Baal Machlokas, the subject, the object, the target, is not someone with whom you have a different opinion or position. You're not intellectually sparring or in disagreement. You're simply a person of Machlokas, and you chose to pick it with that person. But it's not really about them or their position. It could have been about with anybody. So it's Korach Va'adaso. Ula Moshe, Matsin Korbanacher. Venimsha Shemoshla Yashur Shah, Philashutal Machlokes, Larak Emtsai. Moshe was not part of that Machlokes. He was the means. He was the target of the choice. Of the moment. Makumkach Loshon Atana, Machlokes Shalolashem Shemaim, Korach Va'adaso. Kiko Gorme, Vitzadimachlokes, and Timunim, Korach Va'adaso. So that is the Megid Yosef's beautiful insight. Beautiful insight on this, uh, on this Pasa, on the opening, really on our, on our introduction. Okay, let's go, let's go weiter. Let's go weiter. Pasa Gimel. So they gather, they gather, because that's the way it is, by the way. That's the way it is. And this has been escalated thanks to technology enormously. When you're sincere, you approach someone directly and you have a conversation. You say, I'm trying to understand your position, or here's why I disagree, or here's my concern. Hear me out. But when you're looking for the machlokas, when you're looking to escalate conflict, when you're doing it not to resolve, but you're doing it in order to become a fan favorite among a group, then it's vayikahalu you gather you come as a group. You see this all the time, where somebody uses social media to attack somebody, why don't you just reach out to them? I'm not talking about personally, your flight was canceled, so you use social media to call out the airline, how could you, how dare you, someone get back to me. I'm talking about somebody you know, a neighbor, someone you live near. I'm talking about a rabbi, a principal, a of school, where people will use social media when they have a relationship, rather than reaching out, rather than having a direct conversation, it's nothing new. Nothing new. That methodology of machlokis goes all the way back to the birth of our people, to the desert. So they gather on Moshe and Aaron. Korach was as much playing to his audience as he was speaking to Moshe and Aaron. They say, It's too much for you. It's too much for you. You have too much power. You've consolidated all your power. Everybody's Everybody's holy. And inside of them, all of us is God. Why are you elevating yourself over? Why are you expressing authority over? Who are you? Who are you? In years past, we've discussed that in fact, there is some truth, a kernel of truth. It's a compelling argument. That's why I persuaded so many to follow. It's empowering. Many, dic- many, many uh, charismatic leaders through history have said exactly this. They said, why are we listening to a dictator? Why are we listening to a centralized authority? We need to spread the power. Power should be among the people. Let's lead a rebellion. And it worked, and it worked. Rav lachem, Rav lachem. Rashi says in these words, Ben Yitzhar, Ben Kas, Ben Levi. Sorry, I skipped this. Let's go back to the opening passage, Going back to the genealogy of Korach. From whom it did he descend, Ben Yitzhar, Ben Kas, Ben Levi. Lohizkir Ben Yaakov, says Rashi. Whom did we omit? We left out somebody in his Yichus, when Korach was dating on his resume, why didn't it say Yaakov? Ben Yitzhar, Ben Kahas, Ben Levi, you'd think, the Zedah, the Alta Zedah, the of the Vechir Yakov the Yaakov, who's gonna even make a phone call after you put on the resume? Yaakov, everybody. What medicines was Yaakov on? Okay, we'll leave that out. I don't understand. So Rashi says it doesn't say Yaakov, why? Back to Rashi doesn't say Yaakov, why? Because Yaakov anticipated, he knew that there would be Machlokas. He said, keep me out. Don't attach my name. Don't identify or associate me with it at all. I want to be as far away as I possibly can from Machlokas. From Machlokas. So I don't understand. So he davened, leave me out. So if he's not mentioned in the Parsha, He's no longer Korach's Alta Zayda. He's still the zeda. It's still his great-grandchild. It's still on his record. There's still the association. Because the name's not on the resume? Because his name is omitted from the parish none of us know? Ben Yitzhar, Ben Kas, Ben Levi. Oh, who is Levi's father again? Uh-huh. We don't know. What did it help to be left out? Why did he daven for that? So Bali Musar explained that Yaakov Nubaruch HaKodash that there would be machlokas so ir of ma khasus shogalo adoshavi an apikursus gmur obikish arts ma yakil gamray lamidazu. yahas wanted to be as far away as possible fi adu mashaya sabam slabar gomer im nira bentovam shim nikhsho bgney vas mamon einsos elamish shavshav ya bama draga gvomi menno hay msader bkhidushito ra shalo shalo vasavu shaim yoser e goniv das abries ba vodo sa shimis barakh shalo tavazush shogney va nafsho if you see somebody's a thief, it means the father, the grandfather, the great father was also a thief. Maybe they didn't steal possessions, material things. They were goniv das. They stole people's impression. So Yaakov davened. He wasn't davening that he wouldn't be identified with the great-grandchild. He was davening that if the great-grandchild would have an etiyah towards Machlokes, that it didn't come from him. This tefillah made no sense to be about his progeny. Just because he wouldn't be named in the list wouldn't make him not related. So why did it help the daven? So says the altar of Slobatka, the tefillah was not for the great-grandchild. The tefillah was whatever quality is expressing or manifesting itself in the great-grandchild, let it not be because it's coming from me. Let it not be found in me. Let it not be some form of what originated within, within me. That is the altar of altar of Slobodka. Okay, now back to our Pasik Pasuk Gimel. Korach makes this argument. Kulam Kadoshim, we're all from Hashem. Rav Lachan b'nei Levi. Sanav, too much for you. Too much for you. The Gemara Sota learns, laka, The Gemara Sota says that that same language, that same clause, "Rav lachem," it's too much for you. That Korach used. He later paid for when he was told, "Rav davar." What does this mean? If Yisrael Salanti says the following, "Yisod shei where did it come from? What was the motive? He said, why are you the Kohanim? Why do you have the position of distinction? Why are you serving in an elevated fashion ostensibly above everybody else? We want it. Rav lachem b'nei levi. D'ay lachem b'zeh shakibaltam azavodas al-leviya. Ain lachem l'ratz ezmala shakiblu acherim. V'aashatza meisod emeshaladam lahakir kochoso v'tafkido ba'olama l'smoach b'chelko, hatayinahayisam b'bitoi rav lachem. Shiakh says, So Amida to Mosha Hashem said Bosom Lush and Moshe tells them, Rav Lachem. Hashem says to Moshe, Rav Lach. We have to drive ourselves as far as we can go, but we have to know our, our limits as well. Know our limits as well. Chanesh has an amazing comment here. He made a compelling argument. The problem was the machlokas came not from a drive to match, to meet, to be on the same level. What did it come from? We've said already. Kinnah. came from jealousy, came from envy. So the Mishnah says when you have a machlokas, that's L'shem Shemaim, Sofaliskayim. What does that mean? It's a very funny language. Sofaliskayim. What does that mean? No? Somebody offer a translation. What's sofaliskayim mean? It'll come to be. How is a machlokas come to be? It'll come to fruition, it'll be fulfilled, it'll be enduring. It will be justified, valid, legitimate. What is sofa l'skayim? So in the end, hiskayim it will endure. Why would you ever want a machlokas to endure, even if it's the same shemayim? She'en <speaking in Hebrew> l'shem shemayim, and then what's the example of each? Hilon shemayim. And the Rambam and his, Shana, writes, <speaking> in his pesach from Shnei writes, divrei elu ha'emes v'lo When the reason you came to your conclusion. Is not in constant distinction to the other, but to defend your belief, sofalis kayim. Then your opinion will endure. But if you arrive at your opinion not because you believe it to be true or as part of the pursuit of truth, but only to be different than the other, then it's not sofalis I'll tell you as an aside, a beautiful Rav Cook, the Gemara Chazal referred to Tamid Chachamim and as bale What are bale What's a trus? Is a shield. They're shield bearers, shield carriers. Why are they called Balitrisen? Shield bearers, shield carriers. So if Cook writes in his Einaya, in his commentary on Shas on the Agada, if Cook writes, because Chazal didn't carry a sword. They didn't see their mission as piercing the other. They carried a shield to defend their position. They weren't concerned with taking down the other person's position. They weren't concerned with proving the other person wrong. They weren't concerned with delegitimizing, invalidating, marginalizing the other. They carried a shield to protect themselves. This is who I am, this is what I am about, this is what I believe, this is my misoura. and I carry a shield to protect where I come from and who I am, and you be who you are. They weren't about destroying the other, they were and they were shield bearers, they were about protecting themselves. And that's how the Rambam understands. Sofaliskai means your opinion will endure, when your opinion is a reflection of your pursuit of the truth, but when your opinion is simply to be contrarian, we all know people like that too. Whatever you, they say, whatever you say, they'll take the opposite opinion There's a strategy. So you, know, you play a little reverse thinking with them. But the contrarian, they just always take the other opinion. They don't even believe anything they say. They just have to be the outlier. They just have to stand out. They just have to be the contrarian. That's not so Felizk I am. When you have a contrarian opinion, it doesn't endure. It doesn't last because it's only a contrarian. So, Rechayesh Malavs the Gera of the Mir explains the Rambam. The Rambam gives us a call of If the two sides are ready to listen and to hear, and when one side hears something persuasive, compelling from the other, they stop and they say, You know what? I think you're right. I admit I'm wrong. I had the wrong way of looking at it. I was thinking about it wrong. I had the wrong facts. My data was incorrect. I read the wrong things. You know what? I agree. I've been convinced. That's L'Shem Shemayim. But when each have their heels dug in so deeply that they can't listen and they can't hear, that there's no opening, there's no window, there's no opportunity at all to be willing to be persuaded, that's not L'Shem Shemayim. So you ready? What I'm about to tell you is worth coming to the whole parsha just for this. They say one of the name of the Tzaddikim you heard from the... Chavetz So, what does it mean? Chavetz so Chaim flipped the entire Mishnah on its head. And he said, When you believe that your opinion is Lashem Shemaim, then you're going to dig in your heels and you're going to fight forever. But when you recognize not Lashem Shemaim, you don't have a monopoly on the truth when you're willing to listen and be open to the opinion of others, it's not sofalizkayim. It means it won't last forever, you'll be able to resolve it and you'll come to the truth. Entirely flips the mission on its head. Sofalizkayim is not the good thing, it's the bad thing. It means it will last forever. So when you're L'Shem Shemaim, you've never seen anyone, by the way, in a machlokas. Have you ever met someone who says, yeah, I'm involved in this, it's not really L'Shem Shemaim, I was bored, corona, there was nothing else to do, so I got involved in this machlokas. I started this machlokas, you know? If I get a lot of followers, I can monetize that, make a lot of money, so I incited a machlokas. Nobody ever says that. Everyone involved in machlokas always believes, always believes it's L'Shem Shemayim, always believes that it's because for the right reason, always believes it's purely driven. So it's only when you admit L'Shem Shemayim, only Hashem knows. I can't claim that I'm fighting for God. I don't represent God. God didn't give me a monopoly in truth. So therefore, I'm listening. Yaakov Avinu was Yoshev Ohalim, not Ohel. He sat in many tents. He learned in many Batei Medrash. He heard different opinions. Gamarin Erevan says, why do we pasken like Hillel? Hillel and Shammai are these intellectual adversaries. They're the example of Machlokas L'shem Shammaim. Why do we pasken like Hillel? Gamarin Erevan says, because they always heard the opinion of Shammai before they arrived at their own opinion. Before I make my conclusion new, let me hear what you think. Why do you think that way? What led you to that thinking? I hadn't considered that angle. I'll only come to my conclusion once it includes your thinking. But if I've already come to my conclusion before I even hear you out, if I'm closed, I'm shut down, I'm not open to any other way, then I'll never grow. Then I'll never grow. So he entirely flips it on its head in such a beautiful, in such a beautiful and fascinating way. This is the and mention the insidiousness of, of Machlokas, just how terrible, and how dangerous, and how negative it is. So I want to tell you something about the power of Machlokas. We're going to get back into analyzing the Pesukim themselves in a moment. But just looking at the big picture of our Parsha. In the Sefer Yosef Tehilos, he writes, that Hashem is so amazing that even after a person makes a mistake, we come up short, we fail Hashem. He nevertheless still gives us parnasa and he helps us have a roof over our head, and he gives us food to eat. There are people all around us who do not meet Hashem's expectations, and yet, somehow, they have a roof over their head and they have food to eat because Hashem provides. And that's what we say, No Sein Lachem Lechol Basar. He provides for everyone. What is Lechol Basar? It's to be marbit includes even the Chotim. Even the people who are Chotei, the people who rebel against God, who disobey God, the people who dismiss God. He's No Sein Lachem Lechol Basar. He gives everybody parnasa. Why? Because he's a magnanimous, generous Hashem. He's kind, he's giving, and he's a loving father. So he's forgiving, even of the people who are continuing to rebel against him. He gives everybody. Indeed, the day the Jewish people built the Egel and worshipped it, the man still fell. Medrash says in the words, You were righteous and kind when you gave us the Mon. And we, lanu boshes him, we were, were brazen. We rebelled against you. When? be Be'egel. So the day of the Egel. You understand what the day of the Egel was? We cheated on Hashem on our wedding night. Infidelity and unfaithfulness. We stood under the chuppah and we pledged to be faithful forever. And then we cheated on Hashem right away. You know what Hashem did? He said, here's the credit card anyway. Use it. Buy what you need. Here's the mun. Enjoy. Despite how egregious the Chaita Egal was, the mon continued to fall. However, according to the Shevet Musr, on the day that Korach led his rebellion, on the day that he sowed machlokas among the people, the mon did not fall. On that day there was no mon. Six hundred thousand people, really two to three million, went hungry that day. There was no income, no livelihood, there was no food to eat. Why? Because the machlokas, the division and the fighting that was reigning within the camp it was intolerable. It was inexcusable. It was inexcusable. The Shlach Kaddosh writes in Yuma, Machlokes achas mea parnasos. One machlokes will push away a hundred forms of parnasa. hundred forms of parnasa. Machlokas and tension and fighting, conflict, they're toxic. Not only were Korach and his cohort swallowed alive, but their wives and their children went down with them. Because when someone's in a machlokas, it brings down the entire family. They're all spoken about, they're all named, they're all marginalized. Rashi says somewhere you see the severity of machlokas. Beisdan only punishes a person after the age of 13. And based in Shemayla, the Beisdan in heaven only punishes a person after the age of 20. And yet, machlokas is so noxious that even these young children went down with Korach. The infants of the families involved in the machlokas died as a result. You see how terrible it is, how terrible it is. Though our parents know that there are many things we can tolerate from our children. We can tolerate a lot when they don't listen. We can tolerate when they sneak their device. We can tolerate when they don't do exactly what we ask. But what we can't tolerate is when they fight with one another. Machlok is within our own children, within our own family. There's so much that we can accept, so much we can look the other way. And we're saying, we still shower them with generosity, even though there's so much we're disappointed in. But what we can't tolerate is machlokas. That doesn't mean they have to conform with one another. You can disagree, not see eye to eye with one another, have different lives and lifestyles than one another. But you can't have machlokas. You can't have conflict. Koresh was the same way. Egel, cheta Egel, the monster still fell. Rebellion, unfaithfulness to Hashem, He still provided. But Korach va'ad also, Machlokas? Hashem says, I'm out of here. I have no interest in continuing to be generous to you. Our Pasha says, And though the Rambam himself omits it, listen carefully, the Bahag, the Smag, the Sefi Yireim and others, they count Machlokas as a mitzvah. It's one of the tariag in the Torah. We have 613. You put on towels and in this morning, Keeping kosher, you're going to keep Shabbos. We have 613 mitzvahs. There is a specific lav. There is a mitzvah in the Torah not to get involved or dragged into machlokas, no matter how good your intention, no matter how noble your cause. Revobba quotes from the altar of Kelm that the isra to get involved in machlokas applies even or especially to noble causes or intentions. I'm fighting for this reason. Someone has to speak up to them. Someone has to push back. Someone has to write that public letter. Someone has to write that post online. Korach was fighting for the everyman. Everybody's holy. He was representing and advocating and fighting for the everyman. Korach's firepans were ultimately used to cover them as bayach because he had a holy kavana. He had a holy intent. But despite his holy intent, despite his noble cause, said the altar of Kelm, you see how pernicious, how destructive Bachlochu is, that it brought his own demise, that of his children. What a message for our time that people can no longer disagree agreeably. We've lost the art of how to argue. You could come to different conclusions. You could have different opinions and positions. We don't have to all look the same or be the same. but we have to love one another. We have to get along with one another. And that's the outrageous. The people who think, you know what I need for Parnasa, the biggest school for Parnasa, I'm going to read the Parshas Saman, I'm going to tie a red bendel, I'm going to repeat the Maktoros from a cloth, I'm going to stick a key into a challah. you want to do it, it connects you to Hashem. God bless. But the biggest school for Parnasa that exists is to not go near Machlokas. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Don't be counted among either side taking sides. Stay far away no matter how noble the cause. Now, it's not machlokas when you fight anti-Semitism. It's not machlokas when you free Naguna. It's not machlokas when you stand up for Israel or stop Iran. I'm talking about machlokas from within our people. Svarim point out that in Birka Scott, in the quintessential bracha, what is the ultimate hope? For shalom. V'yaseim l'cha shalom. V'yaseim l'cha shalom. How do you achieve shalom? V'yaseim l'cha. You have to take the first step. You have to be the one who refuses to get dragged in. You have to make the first move. Moshe Rabbeinu in our Pasha goes to see them. He doesn't stand on ceremony. He doesn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know that Hashem Himself has endorsed me? Do you know that the Rebun himself is categorically different than every human being? Moshe Rabbeinu leaves his tent to go to theirs. Ultimately, they're not able to resolve it. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not gonna stand on ceremony. He tries to reconcile. It's an amazing story first heard this from my two guests tomorrow night in behind the bimah, Tavi Safir and, and uh, Yehuda Geber. The babba varebbe of Shalom al was known for his tremendous, tremendous dedication to Shalom, to avoid machlokas. He was a man known for peace, stay away from machlokas, got along with everybody. He was beloved by everyone. One time, in fact, someone published Pashkavilim. You know the big posters that they glue and they hang? They published Pashkavilem against the babba and the Rebbe was so afraid that it would lead to machlokas that he gave the following message al Rosh Chodesh Tish. He said, "I've been mochel the one who spread the Pashkavilam. but if anyone decides to start fighting with those who spread them, I'm not mochel you, not in this world and not in the next." He didn't say, "I'm not mochel the person who hung the posters." He said, "If you choose to make a machlokas because of those posters, I'm not mochel you." So of course, nobody t- touched it. And there was no Machlokas as a result. One of the oldest Machlokas in, in the history of Chasidus, maybe the worst in the history of Hasidus, was the Baba Bereva's great-great-grandfather, the Chaim of Sons, who battled against the Sadigur of Hasidim. The son of the Rizhuzer was problematic personality, who joined the Maskilim. And the Chaim, therefore, because he was suspicious of having aligned forces with the Maskilim, the Chaim rejected all of Sadigur, and he went to a bitter... Bitter battle that was very public, a horrific machlokas. He stayed in Galicia for years. There was a tension between Sans and all of the branches of Sadigur, and it was a big, big, big machlokus between those two chasidis, between those two communities. Fast forward one evening in Borough Park, Shlomo Babavar, the Babover Rebbe, is walking home from his base medrash, and he passes a shtibyl, a branch of Sadigur chasidim. And it was a Yeretzi, it was the third of Cheshvan the Ureth side of the Rizhner. The Babavar stops with his entourage and he looks inside this little base medrash and he sees what's happening. He says, no, let's go inside. I want to be part of the, the fabreng and the tish. So the Gabbai, Gabbai gets all of his courage, he turns to the Babavar Rebbe and he says, Rebbe, but, but the Zayda, the Dvr'chaim of Sans, he went to war. This was the battle of his life. How could you go against the Zayda?" You're going to go inside? You're going to make peace? You're going to join forces? How could you go inside? So, the Baba of a Rebbe, the Ishoim, who spent his whole life trying to make peace, he said the following to his Gabai. He said, I don't have my Zaydah, the Divre Chaim's Torah. I don't have my Zaydah. I'm not my personality. I don't have my Zaydah, the Divre Chaim's Chesed. I don't have, I'm not Zocha to have my Zaydah, the Divre Chaim's Kedusha. I don't have, I haven't reached the level of Maizadeh the Divrachayim's chasidus. I don't have, I'll never be the Divrachayim's, I don't have his leadership qualities. I don't have anything like Maizadeh the Divrachayim. The one thing I should keep, the one way I should be like him is to hold on to this machlokes? Makes no sense. If that is the only thing I have from him, I can let go of that as well. And with that, he took his Gabai by his hand and they went in to the sad digor year so machlokas is a love. It's an isser. It's time to let go. You see how destructive. You see how negative it is. I had to quote from Rebender because my new son alone. The middle of sheva brachas. Hello, Liore are here. Simintov Mazatov. I would sing for you, but nobody wants to hear that. So Rebender Bender his beautiful sefer on chumash on the pearls. Rebayim. He also talks about machlokas, and the nature, and the danger of it. ben pelas. We know that um Ben Pellas was meant to join Korach's rebellion, but his wife, Leora, listen carefully, it's your job, not that Hillel would ever be in Machlokas, his wife objected, even though um Ben Pellas was persuaded. She uncovered her hair, stood at the doorway, the people therefore went another way, and based on that, we attribute to her the Pasuk, and Mishle Chachmos, Nasham Bansa she built her home, the wisdom of a woman, to be able to cut through that temptation to Machlokas. Because if we're honest, most people get a little thrill, like to stand on the sideline, They get a little joy. What is all sports if not watching the competitiveness? Who will emerge the winner? Who will triumph? Of course, the Yankees. Who will come in second place, at least? Who will come in second place? That's the nature of all sports, is the competitiveness, the war, the battle, the gridiron, the football field, the long bomb. It's all language of machlokas, football. It's the famous comedian, the difference between football and baseball. Baseball, the whole goal is to be safe at home. Football. Throw a bomb, it's all about the gridiron, it's all, it's uh, violence. So we all have a little piece of that, and On um, Ben Peles also wanted to be part of the action. He was persuaded, it was his wife who stood in, it was his wife who had the clarity of mind. Chochmas It was her wisdom, her insight, her penetrating insight, that Bunsabela Bela, Besa. What does it mean to build a home? What does it mean to build a home? When you build a home, what do you have to build it out of? Walls. And what do the walls do? They know what to keep in, and they know what to keep out. The walls are protective. The walls are insulation. Chachmas its the wisdom and the intuition and the instinct of a woman. Leora, listen carefully. That bunsabesa—that's what we rely on. We rely on. Kla Judaism, the Torah is in our—the original feminists. We understand the beauty and the wisdom and the strength. We don't blur the differences or make everyone exactly the same. We play the strengths and we rely on each for what they contribute and their role. Shlomo HaMelech was not apologizing, and he wasn't defensive. There was no movement in his time that he had to sound defensive or apologetic towards. So why did Shlomo HaMelech say, Chachmas Nashim Ban Because he meant it, because it's true, because it's axiomatically the way God designed and created the world, that we rely on that feminine quality of Chachmas Nashim, that instinct, that intuition, to ban to put up walls. What can come in and what has to stay out? Own Ben Pelas was ready to knock down those walls and to join forces with Korach. But Mrs. Own Ben Pelas said, No way, not on my watch. Bun besa.'" She didn't let it in. She didn't let it in. So, Rabbinder writes, I remember a beautiful family, two siblings that survived the war. It was just them, everyone else had been killed. Rahman al Fine people that raised a beautiful family, but they fought. Two siblings did not speak for decades fight ended when one of them died and could no longer speak. They never made peace. Everyone else had been killed and these two survivors, agents of rebuilding, had thrown away so much happiness, so much potential nachas to the neshamas of their parents, so much shared joy over whatever insignificant issue had come between them. I've seen families not talk for generations. Recently was dealing with one, and when you ask what happened, nobody even remembers the origin of the fight. Nobody even remembers what began at all. They just know our Masora is, we don't talk to that branch of the family. The grandparents didn't talk, the parents didn't talk, we don't talk. Why? What happened? We don't remember, we just know we don't talk. Baba Varebba says, you don't have any of the other greatness of the grandparents, you can let go of that too. You can let go of that too. The Panavich Rebbe recounted a period of antagonism and rotten, and the fire of Machlok has tore through the town. Townspeople all got involved in the disagreement between the local shochtim. The chavetz chaim called a meeting of the whole town of Radin. Says Rabender, this is what the chavetz chaim said: A yid who fights is compared to a wealthy man with a pocket of gold coins, but there's a hole in his pocket. With every step he takes, the money pours out of his pocket. Eventually, this one small hole will cost him his entire fortune. Radiner Yidin, said, "The chavetz chaim, Jews of Radin, what purpose is all your Torah and mitzvos?" All the gold, if you have a hole that's going to allow everything to fall out, I beg you, have mercy. When the day of judgment comes and you stand before the Kisei akavod do not mention my name. I've warned you, proceed at your own caution. Machlokis will cost you everything. That was the chachma of the wife of Onben Pelas, the wisdom that made her build to put up walls, to keep out what doesn't belong in, to build. You can build and build and build and you can be tasked after everybody passes away and you survive with rebuilding. You could have gold of Torah and mitzvahs. You could have health and Parnassah. You could have mailas and brachas in the world. But if you have machlokas, you have a hole in your pocket and the gold coins are falling out until you'll be left bankrupt and indigent and alone with absolutely nothing left like me, and the amount of time there is left in this year. Pasik dalad. see if we're even going to turn the page. Moshe heard and he fell on his face. What does this mean? Moshe heard and he fell on his face. I'm skipping a beautiful Ruf Nachman. Ruf Nachman, okay, I'll tell it to you, fine. You convinced me very quickly, but outside, outside. Korach says, everybody's holy. Why are Moshe and Aaron, why are they elevated above everybody else? Rav Nachman writes, When you're in the presence of greatness, it should make you feel not I'm as great and I'm greater. It should make you feel I'm humble. When you in fact have access and you're close to the righteous, to great, your are is shiflus. You realize I'm a nothing and a nobody, I need to make my life and make myself into something. Korach accused Moshe of arrogance. You know why? You know why? Because the Gemara Kedushan says, Kolah posel, mumo posel. Whatever you see in someone else is really revealing and reflecting what's inside yourself. When you're critical of someone else, when you accuse someone else of something, you are in fact exposing or revealing what's inside you. So when Korach comes at Moshe and Aaron and accuses them of arrogance, of ego, it's really because he's arrogant and because he has ego. Whatever we accuse the other of, we're revealing what's in our side. So when you want to level an accusation, when you want to offer a criticism of another, stop and immediately look in the mirror and say, am I seeing that flaw in the other because really that's the flaw in me? Am I identifying the struggle, the problem in the other? Because that's really the garbage inside me that I'm contending with, that I need to be honest about, that I need to overcome within myself. When you point a finger at another, there are three fingers pointing back at you. Kolaposo Whenever you accuse the other, you're really revealing what's wrong and what's off with inside yourself. Another Megad Yosef, quickly. Vayishma mosha. Gemara and Sanhedrin says, "What did Moshe hear? Vayishma Moshe. So they gathered. Vayikahalu. They gathered on Moshe. They distributed a letter all over the community. They wrote a post on social media. They called for a town meeting, a town hall meeting. And Moshe heard them. What did he hear? Vayishma Moshe. Says the Gemara. Shama shechashduhu me'ishis ish. The murmurings, the rumblings, the whispers. You know what they were saying." Moshe Rabbeinu is sleeping around with the married women. Could you imagine? Moshe Rabbeinu? That's what they were accusing him of? Torah Tamimah to on the Gemara says, Where did that accusation come from? Where did that suspicion come from? How could they say that about a Moshe Rabbeinu? Lahavdil, I'm not even going to give an example, because I'm, I'm too ashamed too. Whoever the g- guddle you're picturing, picturing in our time, the guddle of today, the guddle of yesterday. Could you imagine that it would break out, and they would say that that guddle could say a lot of things about them, but you're going to send and spread an accusation, they're nichshol ish. they're sleeping with married women. So the Gemara sota says, do you know where it comes from that a person loses their moral boundaries and crosses that boundary of faithfulness? Kol is when you're so arrogant, when you're arrogant and you think you're above the law, when you're arrogant and you think that you're above reproach, that's when you fall morally, and you'll cross that line. So this is exactly along the lines, it's a continuation of the inside of, of Rav Nachman. What was at the core of Korach? It expressed itself as rebelliousness. It was a form of envy and jealousy. But what was the disease? What was the malaise? What was the malady? What caused it? Arrogance, ego. So therefore, because he was arrogant and egotistical, he he projected it on Moshe, and arrived at the conclusion. I can't even say it that Moshe Rabbeinu was guilty of that. So the Megad Yosef says. Someone says, "I'm Orthodox. I'm observant. I'm a Shomer Shabbos." So we are immune to infidelity. Affairs and infidelity? Not by us. Not for the Shomer Shabbos. Not for the orthodox and observant. But you see nobody's immune, and nobody is above. Everyone's vulnerable and susceptible. Why? Because when you add arrogance to the mixture, arrogance to the picture, when you think you're above the law and above reproach, that's when you are the most vulnerable and susceptible. That's why, That's why the Torah has so many fences around promiscuity, around this issue. You see a world, we're living our generation, our time, is an incredibly arrogant world. We understand where it comes from. The technological advance and progress and breakthrough is at hyperspeed, sonic speed. We learn and discover and introduce new things to the world at a faster pace than anyone before. It's the information age. We have access to gazillions of terabytes of information at our fingertips. It makes sense that we swell with arrogance, that we think that we're so accomplished. But there's an enormous danger. When a generation thinks it's arrogant, you know what happens? They forget God. There was just a poll last week. Who does all the polls? Pew. The belief in God in America is at an all-time low. Belief in God among Americans is at an all-time low. I don't think it's a coincidence that the belief in God is at such a low, and the rise of immorality, promiscuity, licentiousness, and all the challenges and dissolving of boundaries. There used to be such a thing called boundaries. Shem created a world of men and women. We knew the difference. Created a world of relationships, of monogamy, of loyalty, of marriage, of contract, of obligation, of faithfulness. A world of modesty, person dressed, person reserved. Modesty physically, that you shared certain things only for a certain setting and certain people instead of with the world. Modesty emotionally, there were feelings or thoughts you had that you kept inside yourself or shared with your closest confidants, you didn't post for the whole world to read and see. We had boundaries. We had boundaries and they're gone and they're disappearing. Every boundary, every boundary. Boundaries to our thoughts and feelings, boundaries to our body, boundaries to our definitions. And I don't think it's a coincidence that belief in God is plummeting and these challenges are rising. Vayishma Moshe. Moshe understood. He heard the murmurings. They accused him. Why? Because they were guilty of it themselves. Kol Apostol B'mum You accuse the other what you're guilty of, what you're capable of. And when you're arrogant and you think you're above the law and you're above God, then your boundaries dissolve and disappear and you're capable of unfaithfulness. That was something they struggled with and therefore they accused Moshe of. Vayishma Moshe. He heard it and he understood it and he accused him of it. We didn't even get past the first page today. This is an all-time low for our she'er. I'm humiliated and I'm embarrassed. Goodness gracious. Korach's eye tricked him, or was it his eye that tricked him? He saw who would descend from him. Also part of his arrogance. Okay, we'll end with this because it's one last thought along the same lines. Perictes Zion, Pasach Zion. Also it enables us to turn to the second page. Moshe here is and he says, Rav Put a fire and place incense on them before Hashem. Incense is the answer, by the way, ketores, is what's mechaper, mesakein, every plague. is was mechaper, mesakein, korach. In the time of David HaMelech, there was a pandemic and it was ketores. We have a tradition about Keturus, its role. We've spoken about it in the past. We've spoken about it. tomorrow, the idea and the ideal of tomorrow. Boker, why Boker? you got to listen to the previous shirim. Again, because of the people I quote. Nothing to do with me. Vaya, Isha Hashem, the one who Hashem chooses. Hu he's the Holy One. Rav Lachem B'nei Levi. It's too much for you. children. Moshe flips it, right? The same thing that was said to him. He says to them, and God later says it to him. Rav Lachem. You could spend hours just on those words. Rav Lachem. Rav lachem. So the Rashir quotes, Korach, she Korach was brilliant. He was a pikeach. Ma l'shtus How did he come to such misguided foolishness? How did it happen? Korach came to such misguided foolishness. Shtus. We know that anytime a person sins, nichnas shtus. We're overcome by insanity. Because if we stop and think, is this what Hashem wants from me right now? Is this going to be good for me or will it sabotage me? If we actually maintain our clarity, our consciousness, our mindfulness, our judgment, then we can never do that thing. So when we do that thing, it's only because So what was the that entered Korach? He was a he was a smart person. What are you doing? He knew it was going to end. So Rashi quotes Chazal, His eye tricked him, his eye fooled him. What does that mean? His eye fooled him. Again, we've discussed in the past, not for now. We have two eyes. Godless Adam, shiftless Adam. With one eye we see the greatness, another eye we see. We need the balance. In order to have good vision, peripheral vision, you need to have a balance between the eye that sees Godless Adam, and the eye of shiftless Adam. When you're blind in one eye, as Bilam was, as Korach was, all you see is Godless Adam. You have no sense of shiftless Adam. Then your eye has fooled you. Then you don't see clearly. So what did he see? Korach's offspring, his progeny, Shmuel, who was equal to Moshe and Aaron, the 24 Mishmaros of the Mikdash, that he saw in Ruach Hakodesh. He said, all this is going to descend from me, this greatness, Shmuel Bedoro, like Moshe and Aaron, all is going to descend from me, this greatness. So he said, I must be great. If it's all descending from me and I am the source, I'm the origin, it originates with me, I must be great. And I deserve great distinction and great power. So the stipler that's all. He should have seen that and come to the opposite conclusion. If this is who will descend from me, I need to ingrain, I need to bequeath to them pure genetics, spiritual genetics. I have to stay as far away as possible from machlokas. I have to be the best version of myself so I can pass that on to them. Instead, he came to the opposite conclusion. If I stand to produce such greatness, machlokas, I must be great. I deserve more. He should have come to the opposite conclusion. So the stipler concludes him with this so do we. When a person wants more honor, why didn't I get the aliyah? Why didn't they honor me at the dinner? Why am I not the chairman or the president? Why am I not of the better seat? When a person ever advances that they deserve more honor or why does someone else get it? That's the answer themselves. Their very advancement of that argument is the teretz. They're giving the answer to their own question. The very fact that they articulate that, that they, they pursue that, that they feel that, is the exact answer or explanation of why they don't have it and why they don't get it. We're supposed to run away from Kavod and not chase it. When you run away from Kavod, Kavod runs after you. When you run towards Kavod, the Kavod runs away from you. So much more to say, but for now, have a great day. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy tomorrow morning. I'm living with Amuna. tomorrow night. Davi Safir and Yuri Geber a great behind the bimah. Have a great day.